here we go. They've started early this time. And they this one they didn't let up. Like we've said in the last few episodes, they seem to be improving or doing a better trend of animation and detail and such. It did, uh, no pun intended, it did begin to grind on me this whole episode. <laughs> Computer, scan files. Select mask agents best suited for this mission. Jason Gross, radio broadcaster, retro gamer, blogger, mask movie co-writer, vehicle codename 6000, 80 screw skills critical, Wyatt Bloom, broadcast technician, DJ, critic, mask movie co-writer, vehicle codename Phoenix, 80s analysis vital. Personnel approved. Assemble Mobile Armored Strike Command. Welcome, agents, to MassCast 48 and another episode review from the Mobile Armored Strike Command animated series. In this podcast, we will break down episode 35 in Dutch as we continue what we are calling our fourth season of MassCast, covering episodes 31 through 40. In Dutch was originally broadcast on November 15th, 1985 in the U.S. and features a madman hiring Venom to destroy the flood dikes in the Netherlands in order to extort a political position in Parliament. Can Mask save the city and destroy Venom's ultrasonic device before it's too late? We will definitely find out tonight. Coming up, you'll hear our play-by-play commentary along with our audio clips from the actual episode mixed in for a fun experience. Plus, we'll give our personal rating using our one-to-five scale poll and our reviews of what we took away from the episode. And as always, we'll read some listener feedback via our agentsofmask.com website and also some feedback from our Google Hangout viewers during our live recording session. I'm one of your humble hosts, Jason, and with me, as always, is my longtime friend and co-host, the Kermit the Frog to my Fozzie Bear. That's the Muppet Show! Wyatt, shall we play the music and light the lights? We should, Fozzie Bear! Oh, that was bad. You pulled the wrong one for me. This is Kermit the Frog. Yeah, you, you should have done that one far better than me. Kermit <laughs> the Frog here. I'd be better at the, as the heckler on the Muppets, the Muppet Show. Oh, oh that was lousy. Different. Oh, lousy. Oh, yes. That's our Walmart. No, I, I know you're kind of a lady the web during the week, or at least not as, as tuned in as I am on uh, some of the news stories that come across, but did you see they're trying to bring back the Muppet Show? I saw a article about it, but I didn't see anything more of it. I didn't get in-depth with it, but uh, I've also seen a couple clips of their uh, uh, remakes of what they're doing lately, like you were describing here. You, you actually put me onto that. 
I've, I've had to limit myself because I know what I'm going to do at work. I won't do work. That's what I'll do. <laughs> you mean the mashup videos? Yeah, the mashups. They, yes. <laughs> There's been a couple of good ones they put out there. I think the latest was, who was it? It was Gonzo with uh, the Humpty Dance. That was hilarious. And they I also... I that one yet. I want to oh, see that one. Oh, my gosh. It's so funny. And then uh, they did another one with the Beastie Boys where they have, like, uh, Animal and the Chef and... Oh, it's Beaker. Beaker is the third one, and they're doing the Beastie Boys song. Um, oh, it's great. They're fun. But the story that I read this week, it really didn't go too much in depth. It didn't really confirm that they're bringing back the actual Muppet show, but they're trying to do some kind of prime time show with the Muppets um, on ABC, of course, owned by Disney, which right. now owns the Muppets. So um, I don't know. It'd be fun if they brought back the Muppet show with the, you know, celebrity guest and that whole shindig. Um, have you seen any of the new movies that they put out? No, I wanted to see the, um, what was it, the most recent one with, um, what's her name? I like her too. Um, Amy Adams. That's the one I wanted to see, and I haven't had a chance to see it yet. Yeah, she, she in the second one? I, I caught bits and pieces. <laughs> they, they put out two. I don't think she was in, I, think, I know she was in the first one, because that so one that's was So that's the one, that's, I haven't seen either one then. Yeah, uh, the first one was just called The Muppets, and then the second one was Muppets Most Wanted, I think, but. Yeah. yeah, she was in the first one. Oh, it was great. They had this like '80s Omnibot robot that was hilarious throughout. He like drove the car and uh, offering uh, Kermit like new Coke, and nice. <laughs> it was it was great. But it's they've been fun, so it's I'm glad that they're kind of coming around to another generation. Well, I know when I was growing up, long like you, we enjoyed it just for the the puppets and that kind of comedy to it. We didn't really uh, see it as an, in an adult fashion. I've watched, I actually have, I think it's the first three seasons, two or three seasons I have on DVD and I've watched. And even the some of the adult jokes, I don't, they were T-Bob moments, I'll be honest. They were just, <laughs> holy cow, why did you even bother? But I still find, especially the, the hecklers, yeah, those guys. Those were, I think, were my best ones. At least of, of late, those are the best ones. I now realize television has one major advantage over a live stage show. Huh? What's that? A television you can turn off. <laughs> and I mentioned I like Amy Adams, and so people don't think I'm stalking her or anything. <laughs> uh, the You're only reason. One. Well, the the real reason I actually. Am fascinated with her, not because of her looks, but it's slightly twofold. First, I saw her start out on Smallville, and I was really big into that episode series. The second reason is she is the daughter of an Air Force member, and she was on active duty. She was a child of an active duty parent, and uh, they got into theater on the base. And she basically, when they came back over, she landed right into Hollywood and boom, just kind of exploded, so to speak, into all the, the acting gigs that she's gotten into. So I, I'm fascinated by that way because, you know, I'm, I'm Air Force. So it's cool. that, it's I, that I Air Force. No yeah. I, I like reading up the backstory on a lot of the actors and actresses and, and so forth. And I realize this is also not, uh, 
Dukes of Hazard by any means, and most people like know that I'm a big fan. But uh, you know, we lost Roscoe, aka James Best, here uh, about two days ago. I yes. I really liked him. I didn't really like when, when I was growing up. He wasn't my favorite. I'll be honest. I wanted to be Bo or Luke, jumping in General Lee and all that. Uh, but as I got older, I really appreciated and started reading into his history, and uh, it was fascinating to read what all James Best really did in his time as an actor. Uh, he taught uh, at a university. I want to say it was in Florida, but don't quote me. For some time, he was acting there until he basically retired and did the Dukes of Hazard memorabilia gig that uh, Ben Jones and everybody else seems to do for Dukes Fest and all that. But uh, I know we kind of veered off again like we normally do, and I'm usually the one that derails us like crazy, but... Um, <laughs> Uh, well, at least it's not the same stuff. You know, we're, we're talking Dukes this week. or you know. It's right. all right. I'm, but that one I wanted to actually say, uh, I know I, we didn't script it. We hardly script anything except our actual play-by-play. -play, but uh, I wanted to give my uh, one of my last shout-outs to old James Best. I, got a, I was able to get an autograph from him when I was in, stationed in Korea. Of all places, I found, uh, I found his website... And he was doing autographs. He had, I can't remember, I think only 10 photos at the time. Him in Flash or him in the cast and him whatever. <laughs> and uh, he only charged minimal, I thought it was minimal, 10 bucks. Wow. And you got an 8x10 glossy with his autograph on it. So, um, Very I got cool. The, I, I got the one with the whole cast sitting on the hood of the general, which looks like he's, general's doing one of these because of all the weight on the car. But, uh, <laughs> but. Nonetheless, uh, I wanted to get that so I get everybody's signature on one piece of paper. But, uh, but yeah, I uh, I really liked him. I used to watch his little clips now and then that he'd do. He'd just sit there, do a video podcast, and just tell of his old days or tell of old stories like you know grandpas typically do. Cool. It was fun. I, I liked I liked watching it. He was very, it seemed very approachable in my mind. Yeah, that's getting to be more and more a rarity. It seems like now and. You see all these outrageous prices at these conventions that celebrities are charging now just for an autograph or a selfie or whatever. Oh, yeah. um, a guy I knew went to New York Comic Con, I think it was last year or maybe the year before, and Sly Stallone was there charging $300 for a autograph. Not worth it. I'm sorry. I know who well, he is, but not, to me, it's not worth it. I'm sure there was a meet and greet involved or whatever, but 300. No. Yike! You must be a really big like Rocky or Rambo fan. To and Doug Stone, if you're listening, please don't charge when I come up. <laughs> well, I can pretty much guess that it will be at least not reasonable. charge 300 bucks. Okay. It will be reasonable. So, so all right. Well. Uh, Let's get back on track and let's get our mask on. Get your mask on. Well, I posted up an article uh, yesterday or the day before that I read the story about the G.I. Joe 3 script. And it seems like maybe the rumor that Matt Tracker might be in the movie might have just gotten squashed because they've hired a new writer. Uh, for the project, and I think Paramount is still pushing for like a 2016 release, which is crazy. But 
I think the story is essentially starting over. So I, I, I pretty much refutes the big rumor we chatted about back in January about yeah. him being the movie. But I, you know, it still could happen. And it could be just a bit role, not even. I mean, we have no idea what role he was going to play anyway. Right, right. Um, you know, unless another rumor comes out, I, I wouldn't count on it. But you know, Hasbro could mandate that he be in the script so they can do something with the franchise or just see what or the is going to be. be. You know, maybe they're actually catering to us. They're they're finally reading the petitions and 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 so forth. Maybe they're saying, you know what? Let's not introduce him to GI Joe. Let's keep him on his own sidetrack like he's supposed to be in, in Mask. So who knows? Maybe there's a light at the end of the tunnel after all. It, it could be anything is possible at this point. I mean, they haven't essentially refuted that or addressed it at all that he's in there, but he just putting two and two together. It, it sounded like the, the, the big stink that happened in February. Right. It's been squashed, but... I don't know. We'll see. We'll keep our hopes up, and there's still a lot of time left in this year for the announcements about the script. And if they do start filming this year, you know, we can look and see maybe who's going to be part of the film. And and since we know, spoiler alert, that Duke is dead, any uh, kind of blonde-haired character, <laughs> male right. characters, we can. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Is he Matt Tracker? Anyway. <laughs> Um, also, over the past week or so, I added a couple more designs to our Redbubble portfolio. Um, had a really good time putting together this one. It's a mashup of the Guns N' Roses album cover. I called it uh, Appetite for Illusion. And uh, I, I've seen a lot of uh, designs mash up. I've seen uh, Masters of the Universe in there. I've seen Transformers. Uh, and, and they usually, there are skeletons supposed to be in there, but uh, I'm not that kind of talented yet <laughs> to uh, to make uh, the mask characters skeletons. But I did uh, pop in some photos of the masks in that, and that was really fun. I was really proud of that. And I also uh, doctored up uh, a Venom logo that I found and tried to clean it up a little bit and uh, we've already had some people buy from both of those. So I just wanted to thank everybody for whoever purchased the items. We really appreciate it. And uh, I've got a couple more ideas in the work that I hope we'll, we'll get up soon. But all that money, you know, goes right back into helping us uh, provide giveaways and, you know, site maintenance and all that good stuff. But we really appreciate it. I think that makes us, I think we got seven designs up there now. So just go yeah, into Redbubble and uh, you can just I'm looking search. at it right now. We, yeah, it's seven. Cool. And, you know, they're not all masked. There's a few up there, like I said before, that are just fun uh, mashups of, of other 80s properties. So go check that out. And then I also discovered uh, posting videos on Facebook this week. You know, apparently we've got a nice little video tab to post and sort through videos that I really never noticed before. So I started posting short clips from the series, and you know, I'll try to do that as we anticipate our episode reviews uh, for MassCast. So we'll get people pumped up for watching little clips, and we can pull out some of the cool moments from each episode as well. So 
go check that out. I put up uh, one of Shark Transforming this week. Um, I've got that one from this episode we'll talk about of uh, Switchblade's little surprise coming out of its, uh, its uh, windmill shell, so to speak. Uh, that was really cool. And then that one today uh, I posted, we talked about there in pre-show. Of uh, It was almost like an A-team or one of those 80s shows where they, they put the camera on the ground and they tell the car to drive over it, you know. <laughs> they we did had, that on uh, a lot of the Dukes, too. Yeah. But it was an 80s thing because Knight Rider, yeah, like you said, everything had it, it seems. Yeah. So there was a nice little shot in from the Rotex episode of mm-hmm. – I think it's Thunderhawk and Rhino and Condor and Firecracker. They all kind of go over the, the camera, quote unquote. So that was fun to uh, discover that this week. And I also posted up, uh, up on the blog there about the mask preview comic that I recently discovered were in several uh, September 1985 comic books. And I've actually acquired a few of those. And this is the glory of, uh, of having a camera. Uh, here is one with uh, Superman. This is Superman 411 from September that year. I've also got World's Finest 401. Hello, Superman, Superman and Batman. Superman and Batman. And also uh, Batman and the Outsiders, number 27. And I've actually got one open. I'll flip to it real quick. But um, I read through this week, and I was really wanting to get this preview comic on eBay. And I've seen several just themselves, and I'm pretty sure that people have ripped them out of these comics and are selling them separately, which they're actually worth more. They're still intact. But uh, there's a really cool story about – it's called – Assault on Mount Mayhem. Nice. And it talks about, actually, Matt Tracker is uh, racing at the beginning of the comic, and uh, he goes off and snags the crew to protect Mount Rushmore, which uh, Mayhem is threatening, and Scott and T-Bob are on a field trip there, and he has to save them. We'll probably break it down on a on another mass cast sometime, maybe with Eric when we get back talking with the comic books, but it was uh, interesting for a preview comic. Uh, didn't have the girls in there. And another thing that was really interesting to me was they called up uh, a few of the agents, but there was like all seven or eight of them at Boulder Hill. So they didn't use a call up on everybody and not everybody was in the battle either. So, uh, it was interesting, but uh, go on to that our website there in that um, blog post, and I put up. I think there's ten different comics that has the uh, mask preview in there. But Wyatt, I'll give you your choice, and I'll send one of these to you when I when I send that poster to you to uh, sign okay. <laughs> uh, to add into your mask collection. Awesome. I appreciate it. Well, That's anything pretty, Batman. Yeah. I'm more Batman than Superman. So, <laughs> Okay. Well, I'm just now, over the last couple of years, getting into the comic books. So um, that was kind of a revelation to me, finding those uh, mask previews in there in those uh, September. And I think there's actually one November of that year that was uh, 
that was in there. But um, speaking of comic books and mask merchandise, the final thing we'll talk about here, I guess, in uh, unless you have something else, Wyatt, and get your mask on. We have a giveaway going on. Our giveaway That's finally right. went live on April Fool's Day, but it's no joke. We've I'll, I'll prove it to you. Actually, we're giving away the uh, Volume One DVD right here. This has the first eleven episodes on it. Not sure, if there's any special features or anything like that. I know the quote-unquote complete series, which is actually the first sixty-five that shout. Uh, put out had some little documentary type reaction uh, movies from comedians and people and stuff talking about mask but uh, we're going to give that away i'm going to give away a vintage comic that looks kind of like this from uh, 86 i'm going to give away one of these nice little agents of mask stickers you can stick wherever you want and then, since I work for a printing and mailing company, I had access to a wonderful printer. And I've got a ton of these mini posters. Nice. Uh, these little keep calm designs that I did. Uh, got three of those uh, with Spectrum and with the uh, Focus Pocus and Viper. I've also printed out some of our panoramas. Nice. There's the one with the uh, mask plane and Thunderhawk. Uh, if you me. send all of that to me, you know that Doug's <laughs> going to say no. <laughs> I'm not going to send these all. I'm going to give these away. But, uh, there's Mayhem doing his uh, I have the power pose <laughs> from uh, from Caesar's sword. There's one of uh, Alex and Bruce and Rhino. Oh, this is one of my favorites. The uh, Salt on Liberty episode where they're looking up at the Statue of Liberty in the middle of Iowa or wherever they were. Here's one from this episode we're going to be talking about tonight. Yes. Condor on top of Shark. Just pulled that panorama together this week. There's another one of the mask plane, transport plane. And oh, I also got some that I did the Thunderhawk, Thundercats mashup. A uh, little logo there, and that's about it. Oh, I do have a couple more. There's one of uh, Manta going after Thunderhawk, and I like that one too. Yeah, I like that they one. Have, and uh, Thunderhawk looming in the background. So I'm going to put a couple of those in with the giveaway, and uh, if you haven't been over there to enter yet, we are going to – Double the prizes if you are chosen as the winner and you also subscribe to our email transmissions. We're trying to get the word out about that and get some more people on our email list that we put out each month. So if you're one of those subscribers and you're chosen as the winner through the Rafflecopter widget, I'm going to give you two comics and I'm going to give you two stickers and I'm going to give you four mini posters to go with the DVD. So please go and sign up for that. And there's uh, several ways you can earn entries just by, you know, following us on Twitter and uh, Facebook and tweeting out. And I can't remember what the fourth one is. I think there's four. And then you can go back each day actually and tweet again and earn another entry. So 
go and do that. And we are going to hopefully have some more giveaways this year. I still have that Thunderhawk. That's the 143 scale, the matchbox size. Uh, still in the bag, mind you. Never been taken out of the bag. We're going to give that away at some point. And then uh, with some of the revenue money. Yeah, there you go. Thanks for displaying that. And um, hopefully we'll use some of the revenue coming in from the designs and stuff to get some more prizes. I got a couple more comics. So maybe we'll give away one of these uh, comics too with the ask preview inside. So fun stuff for the 30th anniversary. Yes. And uh, uh, I, I don't have anything more to add. Okay. Uh, we're, Bill and I are still working on what we're going to do for the uh, RetroCon. We haven't finalized anything yet, so stay tuned. That's the best way we can put it. We've, we've been talking since we're the closest of the of the Agents of Mask and, and uh, Matt Tracker, naturally, uh, entities that we can... Uh, we're trying to put something together. We don't know if we're going to do a table, if we're going to do a video cast, both... Uh, we're still working on that issue, but um, be staying tuned, and um, we'll let you guys know as soon as we hammer something out. Cool, cool. Yeah, definitely looking forward to that. That's at RetroCon, which is uh, second weekend in September. I th think you're right, and it's uh, in a suburb of Philly. I can't remember the actual town that's listed, but yeah, it's it's. I'm I'm like, eager to go. In fact, uh. I was talking to Bill about. It. I said, "Me, I probably just do one little swoop around and go almost beeline right to the Doug to <laughs> say, hey, sign my picture' or whatever." And, uh, <laughs> but uh, we kind of started hammering out some ideas what to do. So we're still chit chatting about that. We'll see what happens here in the next month or two, and hopefully give you guys all a heads up. Cool. Well, if that's all for getting our mask on, how about we head over to the Netherlands, sir? I agree, and so let's start the mask cast. Scott, T-Bob, where are you? Our latest mask episode pans in on fields of red tulips with Matt looking for Scott and T-Bob. Shortly afterwards... They spring up in front of Matt and Johan. If you are looking for us, oh, why didn't you just whistle? You have tulips, don't you? Oh. <laughs> that, yeah. That, I was that like, was, here we go. They've started early this time. And they, this one, they didn't let up. Um, <laughs> no. I noticed here, and I'll make mention of it uh, when we do our halftime, but uh, there's a small like reverb on his voice at this moment, at least in this portion. It seemed to have gone away, but here they had it. T-Bob? Yeah, he had a oh. like a reverb effect, echo effect on him. Didn't notice. Matt insists they go on the tour to see a, a famous dyke, while T-Bob would rather be rooted in the tulip fields. As they look over the dyke, T-Bob ponders why the river looks so high. Johan laughs, and he keeps laughing throughout this whole segment that he's round T-Bob. Oh, 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 he's so funny. This isn't a river. It's the ocean. Much of our country is below sea level. T-Bob quips, is this guy on the level? <laughs> yeah. Scott answers that the dikes keep the ocean from pouring into the land. The concerned T-Bob states that if that's the ocean, he's waving bye-bye. A, an amused Johan informs him that the dikes are very strong and safe. 
At another location, Johan now shows them their new ultrasonic analyzer, which is used to check the dikes for weak spots. T-Bob is safe as long as he doesn't see the sea. <laughs> see the sea. Yeah. Next, we hear a group of dogs barking with Matt joking that it looks like this place has gone to the dogs. T-Bob! T-Bob, what's wrong? The sound of dogs? And now T-Bob, what is going on? Scott chases after Tornado Bob, is what I started calling him, <laughs> while Matt tries to make sense of the situation here. After T-Bob comes to a full and complete stop, like all rides, Matt turns to notice that the dike now has fissures with water leaking through. Yeah, and as he tells them about it, they all turn around, and Johan, their tour guide there, he just can't believe it that they're cracking and starting to leak. Matt, he directs them to this nearby tree and helps Scott and then Johan climb up the tree. T-Bob uses his uh, go-go gadget arms to <laughs> grab a branch and then pull himself up. Scott tells Matt to look out as Matt leaps up for a branch just as the water comes crashing around the tree. It looked like he was doing some gymnastics there. Yes, it did. He to get up there to the to the up in the tree. And with the music, that was like that normal halftime music that they use. So I was yeah. like, are they gonna do a commercial break already? Uh <laughs> well it was kind of dramatic. Was... So that's probably what they were going for, that that dramatic yeah. theme that they'd use. Yeah, yeah. It was good. It was good. As they're up inside the tree, the it begins to shake and then topples into the water. Ah! Oh, wonderful! Now I suppose this tree has passed the safety test too. There's high ground, all ashore. And now floating down. Uh, Matt sees some high ground and helps Scott and Johan swim toward the hill. T-Bob decides to do this like high wire act along a tree limb, but it breaks and then he finally swims up the shore and he's covered in tulips somehow. Scott asks him if he's okay and T-Bob says, Takes more than a little flood to dampen my spirits. Uh -huh. uh, okay, that's a load of crap. Because we all know it usually takes just about five minutes of walking anywhere for T-Bob to complain about anything. So. It doesn't take five minutes. <laughs> it takes five seconds, usually. Right. So uh, I would say that this flood would probably dampen the spirits. Anyway, later that night back at their cottage, T-Bob is oiling up his joints. And Scott is complaining that he's making too much noise. He's trying to sleep, you know. He's always on to T-Bob about something. Oh, yeah. Um, just then, T-Bob sees this windmill fly past the window outside. Wow. I didn't know those things could fly. Oh, what things? Windmills. I just saw a flying windmill. It's gone now. That morning, Scott asked Matt if they're going to go check out the dike where it had you know cracked and split open there the night before matt says venom was reported in this area of europe and there's a chance they had something to do with it 
So, of course, Scott is all excited about this. T-Bob suggests they check out the flying windmills instead, as Matt thinks his head is still spinning from the day before. Uh, T-Bob folds his arms and thinks a windmill in the distance is getting ready to take off, and he runs towards it, and Matt tells Scott to go after him, but that T-Bob is his responsibility after all. Right. Scott, he, of course, doesn't want to chase him, but uh, he goes after him anyway, and Matt enters Thunderhawk and now uses the computer to check for anything abnormal before the collapse of the dike the day before. One ultrasound analyzer unit stolen 17 days ago. Theft unexplainable because device has only one purpose, to examine dikes. It was pretty cool, this effect here, where they have the analyzer on the computer screen in Thunderhawk, and then they fade to it, essentially in real life, Yeah. at Venom's hideout. Right, that was a good, that was actually a good transition. animation or transition, right. So we are welcomed into the Venom hideout with their theme, with a proud Miles saying that the modification worked well. You're sure nobody detected the source? No one would think to look for something so simple. Only animals can hear it. It drives them nuts. Rax looks over the smaller version and comments that it, if that can do all that, then the bigger one, which we start seeing kind of arise, uh, can rattle some cages. Among the windmills, we're back to our dynamic duo. T-Bob knocks on a door and asks when their next flight is leaving. <laughs> he wants to make a reservation. I actually left out a lot of that one. That was a better, better, joke. better, better humor, yes. Right. And just then, Scott runs up and explains that he has water on the brain. <laughs> At another windmill, we pan up to see Miles discussing the terms with a guy named Alec, who... Uh, to me, actually reminded me a lot of uh, like a younger, pre-accident version of Mr. Claw from Inspector Gadget because he's sitting there with that cat. Yeah, I did make that connection there. Or, uh, Blofeld from James Bond. They they have the have to have the cat. Right. So, Alec, have you seen the result of our demonstration? I have. But your price, Mayhem, it's very high. You pay me $20 million, and I'll hand you all of Holland on a silver platter. It's a steal. Alex agrees and has him move on to what they call phase two. Back to our dynamic duo, Scott has lost T-Bob once again. He yells for him and ponders where he might be. Then he hears T-Bob performing a countdown as he is pushing the blades of a windmill. I guess it's like the old uh, the old airplane props. You had those. Contact. Yeah. yeah. As he explains what he is doing, he stretches out his hand, and uh, he gets caught up in one of the blades, and it starts taking up a ride. ride. Just like a Ferris wheel, yeah. Uh, after this, we see the huge ultrasonic analyzer being tracked out like the old NASA shuttles and heading towards yeah. the ocean. Right, and it's moving out uh, through this large building and moving on its own tracks towards uh, the beach and then towards the ocean. And then we cut right back to the damaged dike where Thunderhawk is on scene. As you can see, Mr. Tracker, the dikes are very well constructed. After all, we've been doing this for hundreds of years. Was there any sort of natural force that could have 
There were no high winds, no waves, no earthquake. Then it must have been an unnatural force. Then we cut back to Scott and T-Bob. Scott's wanting uh, T-Bob to head back to the cottage, but T-Bob is determined to find this windmill that flies. Scott says they're all the same, but T-Bob then notices another one in the distance that the sails are turning the opposite way as all the other ones. And the duel runs up to this windmill. Then the uh, blades or the sails start going even more rapidly. So we cut over to Thunderhawk. Matt's now in his flight suit, and Scott tells him they've found the flying windmill, and he gives him a heading of northwest. Matt says that he's off to play Don Quixote and jokes flying windmill. Hmm. That's even stranger than a flying car. Now, this was very good. I like the transformation. I always yeah. like the. They seem to improve it, so I, I, I like it. So, it seems a lot of them are similar each episode, but it was nice, and they had this close up as it's going. The car kind of comes back towards the screen. Yeah, you get this nice close up of the bumper and the exhaust, and then it shoots up right. really high. So that was a really good uh, sequence there with the takeoff. And then we get uh, Thunderhawk approaching the windmill with Matt thinking it must be some kind of publicity stunt. But just then the blade stops spinning and this switchblade-like conversion begins with the wings spreading from the sides of the windmill. This is awesome, the, the animation that they yes. did and the concept too. I mean, that's creative. Uh, how can we hide switchblade, you know? Oh, we got the windmills. We'll put them inside and can come out, but this was really cool here. Right. And we get this little confrontation as Matt jokes. A costume party, and I wasn't invited. Mask. Right, and he calls down his mask as a piece of the windmill smacks the windshield, uh, blocking his vision. Switchblade descends, and that's all we actually see is the, the rear switchblade thrusters peering out of the little window or what's left of the windshield there, and then they engage, blasting Thunderhawk, causing it to stall out and fall to the ground. This is the one time Mask won't be running in. Happy landing! <laughs> Matt says it's going to come in hard, pulling up once, which looks like he saves the day there, but then he just... I didn't see him go... He goes off screen. I imagine it's mm -hmm. like a loop-de-loo, -loop, and he basically just plummets, loses control, uh, he ends up transforming Thunderhawk at the last minute back to car mode as he lands in the ocean, and then we see our beloved Thunderhawk sink, and then we're taken to our dramatic commercial break. That was really good. I mean, I yeah. like the little detail that they put on there of the like burn marks on the hood yes. Yes. of Thunderhawk. It was visible right until the point where he made that little splash landing there. It washed and, it all off. Right. And I like that they 
you hurry up and converted it back to car mode there so the water doesn't go rushing in the sides right. you know of the car but uh it was really good animation in that one scene where it kind of skips across the water and the nose of the car is pointed right at the screen right use that screenshot there up on facebook to and for this google hangout image uh, i thought that was really cool so well what are you uh where are you at with the us being at halftime now well i'm actually only one little tick down i'm at a 4.9 on my masco meter <laughs> um you I, like those a tenth of a points there don't you well i do for the halftime i'm trying to, to evade this point system like i was doing uh, our last season <laughs> but um I, what i was uh, i liked the dramatic that they'd used for the commercial break, but it, to me, I thought the uh, the drama of the dike breaking mm-hmm. was more suspenseful and should have been used for a commercial break than Matt losing control of Thunderhawk. Just just in my purview, that's what I was actually thinking. That should have been a a better suspense, but it was still good. I'm not knocking it down much, but uh, like I said, I wish they would have swapped it somehow. Uh, the sinking that they were doing. I thought that the fall would have been, I guess, a little bit better somehow. I don't know how, but a better fall, just not just a loop-de-loo and boom. Maybe tumbling, spinning out of control, something to make it more suspenseful. Yeah, he. they did uh, show it, you know, virtually nosediving. And I, did, I think they, at one point, actually, he uh, touched the ground with the wheels and then came back up in the air, did some kind of loop, and then back into the ocean. Right. So it wasn't like a straight, you know, I'm out of control and there's only ocean below me kind of a thing. So it right. was a little different the way they did that. The animation, though, has been great. Still a very, it's like we've said in the last few episodes, they seem to be improving or doing a better trend of animation and detail and such. I do like the suspense of this plot. We know that Miles is actually working with this guy to uh, basically seize Holland for $20 million. And he's going to basically destroy the dikes if they don't comply. Our dynamic duo, though annoying, I kind of see that they're going to be useful in this episode, so I'm not dinging them too much. What I am dinging uh, really is that reverb mistake that they did with uh, T-Bub at the very beginning. It was like they weren't ready or, or whatever reason they were doing. They just didn't they didn't turn off the reverb or whatever. Uh, the humor is a little annoying. Uh, it always is, but I guess I'm uh, giving a little for, little lax forgiveness. It's, it seems like they seem to be useful at this moment. That's all I, I got. What about you? <laughs> well, I agree. I mean... They've been used well within the plot, and you can see how they, you know, they discovered Switchblade, so they're actually helping. So adding that in, it did help, you know, offset the uh, stupid puns and jokes that they started right off with. I mean, that's what killed me. I was like, oh, no, here we go. And then one after one after one. But I don't know. I'd say the good humor that was written in helped offset the bad. Yeah, uh, with T. Bob asking for the flight reservation, and then uh, Matt's flying car joke—you know, <laughs> comparing it to the flying windmill—I thought those were genuinely funny. So we've had some 
decent humor written in in this first half of the episode. And I just, I don't know, I wish they would do more of it to offset whoever is writing in these stupid corny puns, you know. Right. <laughs> they need to get that guy on board a little bit better. But I like that there was, you know, two really dramatic events in the first half where they're in danger, you know. Usually there's something that happens and Venom steals something or they set it up that way. But, you know, they put Matt and Scott and T-Bob in danger to begin with there pretty early. And then, you know, Matt again at the halftime. So we've got some really dramatic moments uh, just within the first half of the episode. Uh, I thought the plot was fine and the animation, like you said, was great. There's still some really cool shots. There's one transition shot where mayhem is reflected through the eye of the cat did you see that one yes that was really cool and then there's this huge sweeping shot vertically of their machine and that was just made it more kind of dramatic and uh, just showed how freaking huge this thing is and how much time it would have taken to build it you know or whatever so they're still incorporating some really good shots in there. And, you know, we've already commented on how great the animation was and the, the concept of Switchblade as a windmill. I thought that was really good. Um, and there's, you know, there's still good bit to be resolved about this episode. Not just Matt's, you know, crash landing, but Venom really has the upper hand with no other agents on scene yet. And Matt's, you know, sinking down to the ocean and, They've got this huge weapon. How are they going to, you know, kind of defeat them kind of a thing? So anyway, to get to the uh, my rating at this point, I think any markdowns that I had were offset with all the good stuff. So I'm still at a five. Um, cool. thought it was really cool. So we will head out of the break. And now we see Thunderhawk is on the ocean floor upside down. And it's spurting some bubbles out. Uh, Inside, the water is starting to pour in. Matt emerges from the water and removes Spectrum. He says the lasers are no good on the mask. I thought that was a nice little detail there, that it's not waterproof, you know. Um, He also says the doors are jammed and that the jet engines won't fire underwater. So he's really stuck. Right. (laughs) Um, And it's cool that, you know, he just doesn't have – his equipment isn't all powerful. We always say that, you know, the mortality of the vehicles and such bring an extra element of realism about the show. And right. Uh, just having his mask, not being able to work and other things. But uh, <laughs> as, as we'll see though, the water continues to go in. Wait a second. A rocket will fire underwater. Oh, well. I could use more practice flying upside down underwater. I didn't know that Thunderhawk had this rocket that he uses, but he jokes about needing to practice flying upside down a little bit more. And right. It's this button on the dash, so apparently the dash isn't fried. And this rocket emerges from the undercarriage of the car. Uh, it fires and it sends Thunderhawk skidding along the ocean floor and up a bank uh, up onto the to safety. It's a good thing the the floor was smooth, you know? (laughs) Yeah, really. Any boulders or rocks in the way, 
he's stuck under there still. But I would have liked to heard like some kind of scraping sound effect, especially when it hit the concrete. Yeah, yeah, I was expecting to have some scrapes or something on the car too. That would have been a nice little detail to add throughout the rest of the show. But anyway, he emerges from the car and <laughs> I laughed at this one too. He says, heck of a way to wash a car. Yeah. I uh, chuckled here too. <laughs> that's the kind of humor I want in these things. I yeah. Know. I wish they'd do it. So making up some stupid pun, you know, but anyway, we uh, finally head back to the cottage now and we see a tow truck pull up with uh, Thunderhawk in tow. radio contact we were so worried are you okay yeah i was just fishing around for clues inside we see matt use the mask laptop with a satellite link with the mask computer select the best agents for a mission in holland and we turn up with brad turner with condor dusty hayes with gator and gloria baker with shark with no comical runaways or however they do it uh, at Mask HQ, Matt briefs the team that Holland is two-fifths below sea level, protected by the dikes which Venom is planning to compromise. Dusty takes charge and says, we'll be there in two shapes of a lamb's tail. And that's all we get from Mask HQ. I was a little disappointed we didn't get to see the the mask lift platform thing that we always see, the energized room. Yeah, I guess it just wasn't enough time to to put more of a briefing scene there and to add in those normal corny call-up uh, scenes when they when they get the signal on their watch but the call-ups i don't the the corny call-ups that they do i i wish they would almost delete those or do like they do where it's just an occasion and bring back some stability with that mask um oh i agree the the mask room where it's a sequence, you see them basically energized to go out. It, I don't ding it as much, but I still miss that it's not a constant thing. Like we pointed out uh, an episode yeah. or two earlier where Voltron always forms. They always insert the key. They always r jump down that little hangar, whatever. Yeah. The same with Airwolf. They always have to start one and start two, and then it comes out of the of its layer, whatever, that kind of thing. That's uh, There's a sequence to it when it launches. So I, I wish they would have done that with this series. Yeah. But it is what it is. Yeah. 30 years later. Beggars can't be choosers, I guess. Yeah. So back to the episode in Holland, Scott explains to T-Bob that windmills really do grind grain. Yes, windmills don't fly. There wasn't a grain of truth in it. What do you grind mostly? Oh, wheat, barley. Wheat, a minute. I can barley understand you. It, that, I'm sorry. May, you might have liked it. I kind of, no. I, I did the roll your eyes moment there with that. Yeah, that was a face palm, definitely. I mean, it did, uh, no pun intended, it did begin to grind on me this whole episode. <laughs> <laughs> All these jokes. And I was just hoping, as the episode was going along and I was hearing these jokes, I was just hoping there was going to be enough to push my masculometer back in the right direction. <laughs> so I was like, oh, how far do I need to drop it, you know, after I keep writing right. stupid jokes. So we thankfully switched from the bad jokes to the mass transport 
plane flying. Then I'm riding <laughs> with the vehicles. I actually had that same exact line in my notes. Thankfully, uh, that's a the mass transport plane. <laughs> yeah. Then Mask meets up at the suspected building. They must have lit out in a hurry. Maybe you scared them off, man. Somehow I don't think my out-of-control crash landing was all that scary. Looks to me like they were building something. Something big. Hey, guys. I think I found tracks. Matt surmises that they must have taken it out via a ship. Matt then tells... Brad to hit the high road as Dusty tells Matt to be careful with Thunderhawk since all that's holding him together is chewing gum. Yeah. Well, there's a couple things here that kind of took me out of the episode. First was, well, when did Dusty become a mechanic? That's just true. They should have brought Buddy along or somebody that they've been using or Bruce. Well, Um, hence maybe that's why he put it together with chewing gum. He just did the MacGyver (laughs) and hoped that it worked. I know. I was like, getting Dusty to do your dirty work there, Matt, since you're the one that, you know, put it in the ocean. But another thing, too, that got me out of the episode was back when they first got onto the scene and they're looking for this building, and Matt um, says that he came upon this building because this was the heading that Switchblade was on. And I was like, okay, you were plummeting towards the ground. How would exactly you be able to pinpoint which direction Switchblade was going to <laughs> to track them, essentially. Right, good point. So it just took me out of the episode a little bit there. I didn't I didn't ding it too much for that, but I don't know. It just hit me that how can you how can you know what was where he was going when you're putting the Thunderhog into the ocean? Right. So anyway, so back to the episode. Thunderhawk and Condor take off with uh, gator and shark scene uh, driving on the ground out in the ocean. We come upon a freight liner and of course, one of Venom's themes inside. We see Venom's machine with the agents and their new buddy, Alec and his cat admiring it from this. It's like an overhead transport. It was like on a track, right? A little console or a, a, I don't know what you want to call it. The, I I just called it yeah I just called it a tram like um, right there you go and uh, it was this was pretty cool that they actually had this inside the ocean liner there but um Alec uh, he says he's impressed I should have been made prime minister of Holland now I shall be prime minister of course mayhem we're in position good. Time to put on our ship's disguise. He hits a few buttons on this panel, computer panel, and the freight liner begins transforming. What? Yeah. yeah. This is pretty cool. It reminded me of, like, Spaceball 1 transforming into Mega Maid. <laughs> <laughs> it was just on this big scale, this huge freight liner. It starts moving parts, and it, uh, the this little tram or transport they were in it actually rotates forward <laughs> for those of you who uh, are motley crew fans it's like uh tommy lee's uh drum kit that was on this the rotating uh <laughs> thing platform. Yeah. platform yeah uh so that rotates forward and then we see the freight liner has now 
essentially transformed into an oil rig. Uh, and I was like, wow, this has been a cool toy. You know, <laughs> that's what I wrote. I actually wrote that. That would have been another great, we should have thought about this or looked forward enough when we did that little call out, which object or which vehicle would you have liked to have seen as a toy? Right. That article. Uh, but this also reminded me, you were saying it reminded you of the space balls, but to me it actually reminded me of, and I wonder if they got the idea from this cartoon, believe it or not, is there's a science rig that does something similar to what this cargo ship does, and it does dip down in the ocean. It is real world. You have to Google it up. I don't can't remember specifically, but it does sit up, and their lab and stuff is all underwater to do whatever scientific stuff. And there's only that little pod. It's, I don't think it looks like an oil rig, but there's only a little pod that actually sits up mm -hmm. above the water. So that's actually what I imagined and wondered if that was that that concept was taken uh, from Mask or if it's just coincidental or if uh, the writers kind of knew of it as a design phase and thought, hey, this would be cool. Let's beat them to the punch. I don't know. Yeah. No matter what their inspiration was, I mean, that was a cool it's, trick. It is. It also just kind of showed me the scale by which Venom, uh, you know, their empire, so to speak, is right. that they're making transforming uh, uh, freight liners. You know, <laughs> it was pretty pretty impressive to say the least. But after we get this uh, oil rig now in the ocean, we're back over to Shark and Gator. We were driving on this road. I guess it was on the dike or near the dikes. Uh, they're on patrol now. We're patrolling the dikes, Matt. Nothing unusual so far. Nothing here either. I don't get it. We've flown the whole Dutch coastline. Venom ship has to be someplace. And just as they fly over the oil rig, I thought that was good. Yeah. <laughs> so they're all disguised now, and they're just flying right overhead. Hey. And we immediately cut back inside the rig. And now we see Alec on the phone with the current prime minister of Holland. And he's threatening him to resign or he'll blow up all the dikes. Well, soon we see Alec get angered because the prime minister does not believe him. And Mayhem announces uh, he really hates unreasonable people. <laughs> <laughs> so he hits a few buttons and the weapon slowly now emerges from the rig. Right, and Alec is concerned and asks what Miles is doing. Teaching them to take you seriously. But I don't want to destroy Holland. It's my country. I only meant to... to bluff. I never bluff. So Dusty and Gloria are racing along one of the dikes. There's rubble ahead in which Dusty just jumps right over it while Gloria power slides to a stop. Dusty then reports to Matt that the dikes are now crumbling. You'll like this line that I came up with. A flock of seagulls are flying around the aerial team while Matt figures out that the scanner pumps out ultrasonic frequencies, which animals can hear. Matt calls down his mask as the computer monitors flip up. Scanning ultrasonic frequencies. I've got a strong signal. Gloria, Dusty... Meet us at the coordinates I'm transmitting. Gator and Shark transform and jump in the ocean as the aerial crew banks and discovers that the source is coming from the oil rig. Dusty emphasizes that they need to hurry as the dikes are weaker than a gambler's willpower. <laughs> Matt launches a 
sonic disruptor to block the frequencies. This is a cool uh, device that I had no idea Thunderhawk had, you know. Well, you know, Thunderhawk and Spectrum have powers and abilities. We never know. It just it keeps adding and adding. True, true. But just this device as a whole, it was, uh, I don't know, it looked like one of those bouncy balls with all the spikes on it, you know, yes. or like an old-fashioned yes. uh, mine that, you know, ships would throw in the ocean, and it's hooked to a parachute, essentially. He just drops it, and it shoots out the signal to jam mayhem. Right. The device jams the analyzer, leaving Miles perplexed. Something's jamming the analyzer. Good! Then turn it off and give me back my money. I'll keep the money, Wellick. And whatever the Dutch government decides to cough up, too. That was good. Yeah. We, we see then the concrete crumbling with water spewing out. Then, slowing as, uh, as the frequency is being jammed, Vanessa notices Mask and runs out with Rax, only to be knocked down by Thunderhawk buzzing by them. Which was that was awesome. good. I loved it. I love Rax's little uh, mocking mayhem here about you know declaring that no one will be looking for an oil rig, you know, or something. He says. Oh, I missed that. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody's going to be looking for a floating oil rig, sure, mayhem. So Gator motors underneath the platform while Rax puts on his stiletto mask. He jumps into the Piranha sub and launches out. Gloria, actually where they launched out was pretty cool. Yeah, they even added that little, it was like a side compartment almost. Um, right, just for Rax. And, yeah, just for him. And it opened up and shot out the sub. That was really good. Right. Uh, Gloria is below water and notices a blip on the screen and already guesses it's Rax, which I guess that's all it can be to her. <laughs> Back in the air, Brad turns to Matt and says that... I think my old anti-matter ray is the quickest way to deep-six that bad guy boat. Go for it. I'll try to run interference. Matt begins blasting away as Miles and Switchblade rise out of the platform. Matt hits... Uh, one of Switchblade's landing skids, knocking it over. Miles stands up in Switchblade and just waves his hands. There's no scream, no voice, no, I'll get you, no, nothing. Uh, I don't know if that was intentional or not. I was a little disappointed that there was no, not even a, Ugh. Yeah, I mean, it was a great scene, and I liked the the revenge, I guess you would say, that he got back on him for right. putting them in the ocean. But, yeah, I was with you. I would have liked to hear something back at him and, if you think about it too, I'm like, well, okay, so he took out a landing skid. The thing should still work. Uh, he could have still, you know, got up in the air and transformed well, the jet mode or something. Well, if, if you looked at it, it knocks it over. So even if he turns the blades, those blades might hit the the deck well, of that true. ship. So, you know, you, but he could have transformed into jet mode. I don't see why it couldn't have taken off as a, as a jet. Other than he doesn't have any like, wheels, maybe. maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, so Matt circles around and says, Thunderhawk owed you that one, Miles. Uh, Miles climbs into Manta and instructs Vanessa to hurry and protect the ship. Manta takes flight as we are led back to the sub-battle. Right. Underneath the ocean now, uh, Piranha is lurking behind Shark. He's hooked. Now I'll show him how inky the inky depths can get. What the heck? Shark circles around and then shoots this missile that launches a net that engulfs the sub and it drops to the ocean floor. 
Of course, Gloria announces that that will keep him tied up for a while. Uh, she's getting about as bad as T-Bob every time she talks now. We cut to Brad now up in Condor, and he's closing in on the sub, and there's this nice out-of-focus shot of him getting close to the oil rig. Manta zooms in, and this was a great moment here. And I had to go back and rewind it a little bit just to see exactly how she did it. But she takes the wing of Manta and essentially slices off the mm-hmm. back rotor, the back wheel of Condor. And Condor now spins and starts plummeting towards the ocean. This is That was creative. That was really yes. cool. Condor it hits the ocean and is sinking, but it is quickly caught and retrieved by Shark using the essentially the roof <laughs> right and he pushes them up and there's a couple more bad puns here always falling down on the job gloria you have such an uplifting spirit hurry brad we're running out of time and then matt radios and tells brad to hurry and just shut up with the puns is what he should have said <laughs> joking around and hurry up well uh shark Swings a condor back around towards the rig, and we get Brad firing the antimatter ray at the rig, and it creates this large hole, and the water starts quickly filling in, and now we see the rig is actually sinking. Up from overhead, Mayhem blasts, quote-unquote, mask, and tells them to get out of there since the analyzer is now lost. Manta rockets up into the sky, and Piranha breaks free of Shark's net and takes off into the ocean. And Matt says, we'll have to let them go because Thunderhawk is not up for a long-distance chase. It's amazing it's up for anything after being soaked in the ocean. Yeah, really. (laughs) The uh, rig base now starts to sink uh, even more, and it starts short-circuiting, and we see Alec and his cat... Uh, essentially sliding down the deck to escape. Dusty quickly picks them up in Gator's boat. I got the skinniest cat this side of the boneyard and a fella I bet the authorities would like to jaw with. This was cool. This was cool. Uh, Spectrum is removed automatically now from Matt's yes. uh, head, which I had, is this the first time that it's has happened? Removed. Yes. Okay, because we know we always get the mechanically mask or right. mask on or whatever. And it drops down on their head. And this is the first time, at least I remember noticing that it is removed right. automatically. And then we have Matt saying to Dusty, bring him in, Dusty. That's one guy who's really going to be in Dutch. And we get this nice shot of Thunderhawk flying over the wreckage of the rig as we fade to black, which that was uh, kind of an abrupt ending. I really wasn't expecting that. I was expecting some other kind of scene afterwards. Were you? I was. Way? I was waiting. I was waiting for some kind of because typically how they end is with a chuckle. So I was waiting for some kind of laugh scene that they normally do, yeah. whether it was with T. Bob or, or you know something. But it was actually uh, refreshing to see that kind of you know they are done. They got their mission done. They got the bad guy, or at least a bad guy. And now they're ready to set sail or so or well, move on. They put enough 
corny puns and jokes in the entire episode that they really didn't need anything more. At the no. End. <laughs> no. So, anyway, now we're on to the PSA. Right. T-Bob pulls a cannonball from the top of the mansion onto the tennis court, all while trying to yell the Tarzan chant, and lands on his feet but seems to have shortened himself. What are you doing? I saw this guy jump off a building in a TV show once. Gotta love the TV influence. I'm, I, I wrote down here, it must have been the A-team and all their shots of him jumping on guys, you know what I mean? That's true, yeah. <laughs> At least it wasn't like uh, Looney Tunes where they're each smacking each other with hammers or something. <laughs> right. Um Scott, with a smile, tells him he should never do a stunt he sees on TV. Right, Scott. Stunt people are trained experts, and some stunts are just camera tricks. Yes, I sort of stunted my growth, huh? <laughs> um, now, if I were Scott, I wouldn't be laughing because I'd be the one that had to fix him. Yeah. yeah, usually he does have to fix him. Making me more work, T-Bomb. So, uh, after all that, what was your rating? Well, I don't think there's any hiding that this was a great episode. I'm giving it a solid five. I think my first of this stretch. I think, I think I this gave... is almost the first of, like, two seasons right now. <laughs> well, I did give a five to, I don't know if it was a solid five or a 4.5, but um, which one was it? It was episode 30. It was at Lost Riches of Rio. That had the kind of new animation and stuff. I really yeah. liked. I think yeah. that was episode thirty. I gave it five, but this was good. I mean, I always enjoy as you know you do the weaknesses and the vulnerability, like I said, and you know just that little bit there that we saw that Spectrum and Thunderhawk went through. You know, it wasn't waterproof or whatever. I like that. You know, right. It, I guess it was reasonable to think that his dash would have been shorted out too under there. And this magical rocket that he's never used before was, you know, <laughs> on Thunderhawk that seems to have everything. But uh, I don't know. I, th I thought it was good. And then talking about the second half, there was some more awesome transformation sequences. And the animation overall, I thought, was top shelf for the series. Um, mm-hmm. There were some great angles. The you know the shot of Condor we talked about, that was really good. The PSA was good. Uh, there was no tie-in, but it was still new and a pretty good message. You know, go jumping off roofs. We all wanted to do that as a kid at one point or another. I liked the determination and mayhem in this episode. That was what really got me going there for a while. Where he, there was a really great moment. You know, like you were saying, where he says. Uh, he never bluffs, you know. Oh yeah. And you know, and you just knew that this guy was done for. That uh, Mayhem wasn't gonna give him his money back or anything after that whole, after having this, you know, huge machine belt and the whole transforming oil rig. It was a shame he left it all essentially behind and <laughs> set the bottom of the ocean now. But uh, I don't know. There seemed to there's just too much. He was too uh, invested in this whole plan that he wasn't going to go back at all. But that was, I thought that was a great moment. He kind of puts his hand on Alec on his shoulder and he says, I never bluff, you know, <laughs> I thought that was really good. And then, you know, like you said before, I, the use of Scott and T-Bob throughout, I thought was pretty well, aside from the bad humor that we're right to, I thought they were still a good part of the plot. 
just a couple of bad things. Obviously, the puns and the humor we talked about. But like I said, I, I thought there was enough good humor, at least in the first half, that offset a lot of the bad stuff. So it's always nice to have a little bit of stuff that actually makes you laugh instead of right. doing a face palm. You know? <laughs> uh, there was a couple mistakes that I caught, too. Like out of the transport plane when it landed, we just got Gator and Shark exit. We didn't get Condor coming out too. Obviously, it was in there because we were right. using it in the episode. And then there's another point when Dusty launches the Gator boat. He calls for his mask, but his mask was already on. So I don't know if you caught that as well, but he says mask, but his mask is already there when he launches the boat. So there's just a couple little small mistakes like that. And then the ticks, I had two, the, just with the ending being so abrupt, it wasn't bad. It was just abnormal for a cartoon. I was like, oh, that's that's it? It's done? Okay. <laughs> uh, like I said, I mean, it, was, it wasn't bad. It was just abnormal. Right. And, and like I mentioned before, it was a little too convenient for Matt and the team to find that building where the weapon was housed. You know, not that they couldn't have ever found it, but just the logic that Matt used to explain. I knew where he was heading, even though I was headed towards the ocean. Uh, <laughs> that was just a little off to me. But all in all, I, I thought it was a great episode and definitely the best, I think, in this season 31 to 40. So the floor is yours, sir. Well, uh, I don't think there's anything left. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I really enjoyed the back and forth action going between uh, the air battle, then we go back to the ocean, and then we get to see like Miles or Rax cussing someone out. I I, I really liked that back and forth. I really like seeing what's going on. Almost, uh, I know some people call it the soap opera effect, but it, it's I like that that back and forth. It adds to it. There's some good transition. I, yes, I definitely agree with that. Uh, there's a lot of battle scenes, uh, a few with the masks, not as much, but still we got to see the masks used. I really liked, and I know we've pointed this out, but we really did like that cargo ship transforming into a big oil rig. Uh, that was awesome, and I even made a comment. Uh, it could have been a, a high, higher-priced toy like Boulder Hill. It could have been a higher-priced toy back in the day had they uh, had they used it. Yeah, um, would have been huge. Yeah. When you think about the uh, the G.I. Joe flag, you know, which is one of the holy grails of 80s, you know, toys and vehicles. And that thing was huge. I mean, that having that transform into an oil rig <laughs> right. would have been, it would have blown the flag out of the water if that was an actual toy. Pun right. intended there. <laughs> but uh, uh, I, I highlighted earlier, it was great to see the Mask HQ. Just a little disappointed that they didn't use that. Uh, mask platform sequence. Mm -hmm. What kind of dropped it down a little bit for me that, that really hit, hit home was we see Gator eject, the Gator boat eject into the water. We see him run underneath the like the part of the platform, and then that's it. We don't see him until the end where he's picking up the bad guy, Alec. Alec and his cat. True. He could have been used a lot more. He could have Drop the depth charge and and shaken racks up so that Gloria could have caught him better with the the net, um, something. It was just like 
get her deployed and like, hey, where, what are you guys doing, y'all? You're taking away my action. <laughs> Something was going on. The uh, I covered it also was was the, the there was no scream or no yell or no ugh when when Miles kind of is stuck there when when uh, the Landis gets blown off of Switchblade. Could have been something. The PSA didn't have anything to do with the story, but it was actually a good message. Not like the reused garbage disposal yeah. we've been seeing sometimes. <laughs> uh, like I said, it, it it was good. My biggest thing really throughout the whole thing was the use of Gator, honestly. Uh, but I'm I'm with you. I'm at a five. And uh, cool. Before we get into the comments and the ratings uh, by others, did you see any similarities? Because I didn't. No, I didn't either. Um, I don't know. I, it's maybe I need to go back and uh, revisit our script more, <laughs> read it again, <laughs> so I can pull some more stuff out. But because uh, I think we. Well, the only thing I I wouldn't say it's a similarity. In fact, it's more of an opposition. You know how we we wrote in our script that. Venom is uh, that has very very humble beginnings, so they have no cash. In fact, they're kind of a spoiler alert. We keep them fitted in the '80s because they're working out of a junkyard, so they have to work with whatever's there that's usable. So they find an old '80s Bronco that's runnable. They find an old '80s yeah. uh, bike with a sidecar. They find the old is it a Nissan? Yeah, a Nissan Fermenta, that kind of thing. The, the only new toy they have is Switchblade, so it's more of an opposite. Where, like right now, I mean, Venom somehow has acquired a transforming oil rig <laughs> that would have cost that has, more than twenty million dollars. Yeah, <laughs> or whatever they want to Yeah, so um, just in gas. <laughs> yeah. uh, sorry, uh, I pulled that one from I. Completely pulled that one from A Team. That was an episode. I think it was the, the very first episode where uh, Amy says that she only has X amount of dollars, and Hannibal says that won't even keep us in gas, honey. So. <laughs> that was good. Yeah, we uh, we did have some commenters this week, and we had uh, twelve votes in our poll. Um, we had ten votes for a five and. Three votes for a four. We just had another one come in. So we had 13 votes awesome. total. Awesome. And then we had uh, three comments. One's you from, go ahead with the first. Yeah, from, I'm sorry, I'm going to butcher your name. I apologize. It's uh, Roel Leclerc. Uh, he says, this was a good one for me, and that's not only because I am Dutch. I like the plot where Venom converts existing technology into a weapon. I tend to like the sci-fi plots better than the mystical, magical ones. I agree there. Uh, I liked the setup where T-Bob is the only one who sees the flying windmill at first, but sticks to his beliefs even when the others think he's crazy. He and Scott were used well in this episode. They discover the flying windmill, and that's it. They've played their part, and they're out. <laughs> Uh, there was some nice suspense and sense of peril when Matt's underwater in Thunderhawk. It ties in perfectly with the theme of the episode. A leaky Thunderhawk almost causes Matt to drown, and Venom makes the dikes leak, which would drown a lot of people. The way 
Matt escapes his situation was also okay. I don't know if rockets actually fire underwater, but I'm willing to go with it. So am I. I can't remember if they fire underwater or not. I know the explosives that I used to work with, um, they would fire underwater. We did that numerous times, but I'll leave it at that before I get in trouble. <laughs> I also like Matt's joke. Heck of a way to wash a car made me snicker. I thought I wasn't going to like the Dutch wannabe Bond villain at first with his cliche white cat. But when it turned out he really was pretending to be a villain, uh, his look totally made sense. He would be Dutchy enough to think Blofeld cat, I thought it was Biofeld, uh, <laughs> Blofeld cat would give him bad guy creds. I liked the close-up shot of the cat's eye with Mayhem's reflection. The action during the end battle was was good. I loved that Matt disabled Switchblade right away. I liked the shark piranha scene. Brad got shot down, so it was a one-sided battle, and Venom only retreated after the oil rig started to sink, and their plan was foiled anyway. My absolute favorite part of the episode was the tanker transforming into an oil rig. That's so cool. The transforming vehicles is one of the coolest things about the series, and for them to do it with another non-returning vehicle is great. I'd like to see more of that. Me too. <laughs> yeah. The only little negative thing I can say about the episode were the bad T-Bob jokes. But since they seem to be in every episode, I guess they've become a signature part of the show. That's why I rated it a 5. Thanks for the podcast, Nostalgia. Net Dweller is what he calls himself. And uh, our buddy Scott totally agrees with that. Yes. And we, uh, I'll, yeah, I'll actually do Scott's first since uh, he chimed in about that. Okay. He says, uh, I guess you guys, Jason and Wyatt, will be happy with the start of this episode. Flat land as far as the eye can see. No hills or mountains to be seen. <laughs> if yeah, I could so interject just a minor, Jason and I grew up in a hilly hilly part of uh, Pennsylvania. So we're, we're, we love the mountains and love the hills. We just got a little bored of every scene opening up with freaking mountains. <laughs> right. <laughs> it seemed like the same mountains uh, as that. Uh, <laughs> uh, Scott goes on to say, it's another fine example of a great mask episode, but there are a few things I'd like to discuss, if I may. Firstly, Matt Scott and T-Bob are being shown the ultrasound analyzer working, which is great. Then, all of a sudden, water starts to breach the wall, and they go running for their lives, except what happened to the guy who was using the ultrasound analyzer? Yeah, I thought about Good that, point. too. Good the point. tech left him behind. <laughs> he was sucked in the water. Scott goes on to say, as soon as the wall starts to breach, he was nowhere to be seen. In fact, this piece of equipment didn't even seem to work. There was no notice of anything wrong until the dog started barking and T-Bob went haywire. So seeing this works better as a weapon in the hands of madmen to destroy the walls rather than protect them. That's a pretty good point. Yeah. Next is how the switchblade managed to take off and land when upright disguised as a windmill. I mean, I've heard of a vertical takeoff and landing, but that's just crazy. I don't know. I kind of bought into it more, I guess. Uh, Thunderhawk is pretty much banged up, and Dusty makes a comment about fixing her, but she might not hold together. Why, then, wasn't Mask's resident chief mechanic, Buddy Hawks, not part of the call-up? 
Surely this episode was just asking for him to come to the aid of his leader and his stricken vehicle. Yeah, I would agree there. Mm-hmm. What if Dusty held her together with mozzarella and anchovies? That's probably more feasible. <laughs> the gum, right. After Rax's encounter with cats a couple episodes back in Caesar's Sword, it's nice to see that this theme was followed up when the white cat hisses at him. Uh, I like the comment left by Roel. I, too, like the fact that the ship converts into the oil platform. But as I was watching this again, I had it in my head that a similar thing happens in a movie from years ago. Does anyone remember what I'm thinking of, or am I making this up? The scene just before Dusty enters the water in Gator, there's a great shot of a camera panning in on Dusty. I don't remember what show that would have been or what movie. Yeah, I can't think of that either. Uh, unless he was watching the same uh, documentary I was watching, but it was it it was in the not so distant. Um, uh, it, was, it was rather recent. I'm saying five to ten years. I've seen seen that uh, yeah. documentary, like on Discovery or TLC or somewhere like that. History, but yeah, that uh, great comment, Scott. Uh, and our final one is Anna. This is a really good episode with great animation, beautiful colors, and a good story. I love it when Switchblade causes Thunderhawk to crash, when Thunderhawk disables Switchblade before it had even taken off, and when Manta causes Condor to spin. I also thought the villain with the cat was a good character. Clearly, he was not as evil as Mayhem. A really enjoyable episode. Cool. And uh, we got a late person that's been joining us the last 20 minutes or so. He's just saying, I'm a Mass fan through and through. And we say amen to that, brother. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Philip, Philip Gibson, thanks for yes. uh, tuning in to us. And uh, we did get a comment here from Vaughn, who also is tuned in for the uh, hangout, saying, uh, I hope that Mass will definitely make a big comeback, just like My Little Pony and G.I. Joe and Battleship and Jim and. Transformers, which uh, believe are all Hasbro properties. So yes. that's a good point <laughs> that uh, Hasbro seems to be revamping a lot of their properties. And, of course, Mask is just lying in wait. We're waiting, Hasbro. We got the script. All you have to do <laughs> is email us. It's that simple. So, well, that will about do it for in Dutch. I'm Crossing my fingers that we'll get some more episodes like this uh, as we, I don't know, I thought we have had some mediocre ones through the stretch, but this was a nice breath of fresh air, so to speak, uh, to me in this stretch. But uh, the next episode we will be reviewing will take us to Vienna, Austria, as we try to solve the Lippenzahner mystery which is episode 36 of the animated series. The plot in this one is Venom is hired by a crooked Arab to steal the famous Lippenzahner stallions for a sum of $5 million. Matt and Dusty work together to rescue the horses and return them to their rightful owners. So that sounds, uh, I guess, a little bit in uh, Venom's territory there where they're stealing stuff for money. So we'll see how that one will turn out the next time. And, of course, we always invite you to our listeners to interact with us prior to each podcast. 
by going to our website and clicking on the assignment link in the right hand column. And if you are an email subscriber, you'll get our transmission. We always put in there the, uh, the assignment as well for you to click over and interact with us for each episode. Um, but if you miss the blog post by chance and you do come over to Google Hangouts now and you show up a little early, I just discovered a new feature, which is we can actually post the episode up on the Hangout as a quote unquote trailer. And you can watch the episode and just leave a comment there uh, on Google Hangouts before we actually start the show. So I thought that was a pretty cool feature to to have on there. So we're just uh, glad everybody comes along each time we record and we hope our audience will continue to grow and we'll get some more live interaction uh, as we <laughs> as we go through all the, uh, the bleeps and blunders of <laughs> recording this and, and doing the show live. So we do appreciate everybody coming along. Right. And uh, like Jason said, you know, we always have a great time. We do sincerely appreciate all of our listeners live or uh, through the podcast and so forth. And go get the uh, go sign up for the giveaway, please. Yes, don't don't be missing out on this giveaway. There's a lot to be had, and if uh, if you haven't yet, please sign up for our newsletter. That way, you can get uh, double your your prizes. Uh, who knows if you're close enough on the East Coast, or if you're making it your this way, maybe uh, you can take one of these or all of these to see Doug Stone at the RetroCon. There maybe you go. Sign them all up, and you know, Agents of Mask will be a household name, just like Mask is. <laughs> you know, we're trying. But anyway, we've had a blast. This is awesome, awesome time. So, uh, on behalf of Jason, I'm Wyatt, and thanks for listening to Mascast. What was that? That was very strange. It was very weird. Peculiar. It was kind of amusing. Yes, it was rather funny. It was incredibly funny. I loved it. Hilarious. Wonderful. Wonderful.